Chapter One, Part Two of Glimpses of Unfamiliar Japan, First Series by Lafcadio Hearn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One, Part Two My First Day in the Orient. Section Seven I pass on and climb more steps to a second gate with similar gargoyles and swarming of dragons, and enter a court where graceful votive lanterns of stone stand like monuments on my right and left two great grotesque stone lions are sitting the lions of buddha male and female beyond is a long low light building with curved and gabled roof of blue tiles and three wooden steps before its entrance its sides are simple wooden screens covered with thin white paper this is the temple on the steps i take off my shoes a young man slides aside the screens closing the entrance and bows me a gracious welcome and i go in feeling under my feet a softness of matting thick as bedding an immense square apartment is before me full of an unfamiliar sweet smell the scent of japanese incense but after the full blaze of the sun the paper filtered light here is dim as moonshine for a minute or two I can see nothing but gleams of gilding in a soft gloom. Then, my eyes becoming accustomed to the obscurity, I perceive against the paper-paint screens surrounding the sanctuary on three sides, shapes of enormous flowers cutting like silhouettes against the vague white light. I approach and find them to be paper flowers, symbolic lotus blossoms, beautifully colored, with curling leaves gilded on the upper surface and bright green beneath. At the dark end of the apartment, facing the entrance, is the altar of Buddha, a rich and lofty altar, covered with bronzes and gilded utensils clustered to right and left of a shrine, like a tiny gold temple. But I see no statue, only a mystery of unfamiliar shapes of burnished metal, relieved against darkness, a darkness behind the shrine and altar, whether recess or inner sanctuary I cannot distinguish. The young attendant who ushered me into the temple now approaches, and, to my great surprise, exclaims in excellent English, pointing to a richly decorated gilded object between groups of candelabra on the altar. That is the shrine of Buddha. And I would like to make an offering to Buddha, I respond. It is not necessary, he says, with a polite smile. But I insist, and he places the little offering for me upon the altar then he invites me to his own room in a wing of the building a large luminous room without furniture beautifully matted and we sit down upon the floor and chat he tells me he is a student in the temple he learned english in tokyo and speaks it with a curious accent but with fine choice of words finally he asks me are you a christian and i answer truthfully no are you a buddhist not exactly why do you make offerings if you do not believe in buddha i revere the beauty of his teaching and the faith of those who follow it are there buddhists in england and america there are at least a great many interested in buddhist philosophy and he takes from an alcove a little book and gives it to me to examine it is an english copy of alcott's buddhist catechism why is there no image of buddha in your temple i ask 
there is a small one in the shrine upon the altar the student answers but the shrine is closed and we have several large ones but the image of buddha is not exposed here every day only upon festal days and some images are exposed only once or twice a year from my place i can see between the open paper screens men and women ascending the steps to kneel and pray before the entrance of the temple they kneel with such naive reverence so gracefully and so naturally that the kneeling of our occidental devotees seems a clumsy stumbling by comparison some only join their hands others clap them three times loudly and slowly then they bow their heads pray silently for a moment and rise and depart the shortness of the prayers impresses me as something novel and interesting from time to time i hear the clink and rattle of brazen coin cast into the great wooden money-box at the entrance i turn to the young student and ask him why do they clap their hands three times before they pray he answers three times for the sansai the three powers heaven earth man but do they clap their hands to call the gods as japanese clap their hands to summon their attendants oh no he replied the clapping of hands represents only the awakening from the dream of the long night note i do not think this explanation is correct but it is interesting as the first which i obtained upon the subject properly speaking buddhist worshippers should not clap their hands but only rub them softly together shinto worshippers always clap their hands four times End of note what night what dream he hesitates some moments before making answer the buddha said all beings are only dreaming in this fleeting world of unhappiness then the clapping of hands signifies that in prayer the soul awakens from such dreaming yes you understand what i mean by the word soul oh yes buddhists believe the soul always was always will be even in nirvana yes while we are thus chatting the chief priest of the temple enters a very aged man accompanied by two young priests and i am presented to them and the three bow very low showing me the glossy crowns of their smoothly shaven heads before seating themselves in the fashion of gods upon the floor i observe they do not smile these are the first japanese i have seen who do not smile their faces are impassive as the faces of images but their long eyes observe me very closely while the student interprets their questions and while i attempt to tell them something about the translations of the sutras in our sacred books of the east and about the labors of beale and burnoff and fear and davids and kern and others they listen without change of countenance and utter no word in response to the young student's translation of my remarks tea however is brought in and set before me in a tiny cup placed in a little brazen saucer shaped like a lotus leaf and i am invited to partake of some little sugar cakes kwashi stamped with a figure which i recognize as the swastika the ancient indian symbol of the wheel of the law as i rise to go all rise with me and at the steps the student asks for my name and address for he adds you will not see me here again as i am going to leave the temple but i will visit you and your name i ask 
call me akira he answers at the threshold i bow my good-bye and they all bow very very low one blue-black head three glossy heads like balls of ivory and as i go only akira smiles section eight terra queries cha with his immense white hat in his hand as i resume my seat in the jinrikisha at the foot of the steps which no doubt means do i want to see any more temples most certainly i do i have not yet seen buddha yes terra cha and again begins the long panorama of mysterious shops and tilted eaves and fantastic riddles written over everything i have no idea in what direction cha is running i only know that the streets seem to become always narrower as we go and that some of the houses look like great wickerwork pigeon cages only and that we pass over several bridges before we halt again at the foot of another hill there is a lofty flight of steps here also and before them a structure which i know is both a gate and a symbol imposing yet in no manner resembling the great buddhist gateway seen before astonishingly simple all the lines of it are it has no carving no colouring no lettering upon it yet it has a weird solemnity an enigmatic beauty it is a torii mia observes cha not a terra this time but a shrine of the gods of the more ancient faith of the land a mia i am standing before a shinto symbol i see for the first time out of a picture at least a torii how describe a torii to those who have never looked at one even in a photograph or engraving two lofty columns like gate pillars supporting horizontally two cross-beams the lower and lighter beam having its ends fitted into the columns a little distance below their summits the uppermost and larger beam supported upon the tops of the columns and projecting well beyond them to right and left that is a torii the construction varying little in design whether made of stone wood or metal but this description can give no correct idea of the appearance of a torii of its majestic aspect of its mystical suggestiveness as a gateway the first time you see a noble one you will imagine perhaps that you see the colossal model of some beautiful chinese letter towering against the sky for all the lines of the thing have the grace of an animated ideograph have the bold angles and curves of characters made with four sweeps of a master brush Note. various writers following the opinion of the japanologue sato have stated that the torii was originally a bird perch for fowls offered up to the gods at shinto shrines not as food but to give warning of daybreak the etymology of the word is said to be bird rest by some authorities but aston not less of an authority derives it from words which would give simply the meaning of a gateway see chamberlain's things japanese pages four hundred twenty nine four hundred thirty end of note passing the torii i ascend a flight of perhaps one hundred stone steps and find at their summit a second torii from whose lower cross-beam hangs festooned the mystic shimenawa it is in this case a hempen rope of perhaps two inches in diameter through its greater length but tapering off at either end like a snake 
sometimes the shimenawa is made of bronze when the torii itself is of bronze but according to tradition it should be made of straw and most commonly is for it represents the straw rope which the deity futo tama no mikoto stretched behind the sun goddess amaterasu ohomikami after ame no tajikara wo no kami the heavenly hand strength god had pulled her out as is told in that ancient myth of shinto which professor chamberlain has translated note professor basil hall chamberlain has held the extraordinary position of professor of japanese in the imperial university of japan no small honor to english philology End of note. and the shimenawa in its commoner and simpler form has pendant tufts of straw along its entire length at regular intervals because originally made tradition declares of grass pulled up by the roots which protruded from the twist of it advancing beyond this torii i find myself in a sort of park or pleasure ground on the summit of the hill there is a small temple on the right it is all closed up and i have read so much about the disappointing vacuity of shinto temples that i do not regret the absence of its guardian and i see before me what is infinitely more interesting a grove of cherry trees covered with something unutterably beautiful a dazzling mist of snowy blossoms clinging like summer cloud fleece about every branch and twig and the ground beneath them and the path before me is white with the soft thick odorous snow of fallen petals beyond this loveliness are flower-pots surrounding tiny shrines and marvellous grotto-work full of monsters dragons and mythologic beings chiselled in the rock and miniature landscape-work with tiny groves of dwarf trees and lilliputian lakes and microscopic brooks and bridges and cascades here also are swings for children and here are belvederes perched on the verge of the hill wherefrom the whole fair city and the whole smooth bay speckled with fishing sails no bigger than pinheads and the far faint high promontories reaching into the sea are all visible in one delicious view blue pencilled in a beauty of ghostly haze indescribable why should the trees be so lovely in japan with us a plum or cherry tree in flower is not an astonishing sight but here it is a miracle of beauty so bewildering that however much you may have previously read about it the real spectacle strikes you dumb you see no leaves only one great filmy mist of petals is it that the trees have been so long domesticated and caressed by man in this land of the gods that they have acquired souls and strive to show their gratitude like women loved by making themselves more beautiful for man's sake assuredly they have mastered men's hearts by their loveliness like beautiful slaves that is to say japanese hearts apparently there have been some foreign tourists of the brutal class in this place since it has been deemed necessary to set up inscriptions in english announcing that it is forbidden to injure the trees section nine terra yes cha terra 
but only for a brief while do i traverse japanese streets the houses separate become scattered along the feet of the hills the city thins away through little valleys and vanishes at last behind and we follow a curving road overlooking the sea green hills slope steeply down to the edge of the way on the right on the left far below spreads a vast stretch of dun sand and salty pools to a line of surf so distant that it is discernible only as a moving white thread the tide is out and thousands of cockle gatherers are scattered over the sands at such distances that their stooping figures dotting the glimmering sea-bed appear no larger than gnats and some are coming along the road before us returning from their search with well-filled baskets girls with faces almost as rosy as the faces of english girls as the jinriksha rattles on the hills dominating the road grow higher all at once cha halts again before the steepest and loftiest flight of temple steps i have yet seen i climb and climb and climb halting perforce betimes to ease the violent aching of my quadriceps muscles reach the top completely out of breath and find myself between two lions of stone one showing his fangs the other with jaws closed before me stands the temple at the farther end of a small bare plateau surrounded on three sides by low cliffs a small temple looking very old and grey from a rocky height to the left of the building a little cataract rumbles down into a pool ringed in by a palisade the voice of the water drowns all other sounds a sharp wind is blowing from the ocean the place is chill even in the sun and bleak and desolate as if no prayer had been uttered in it for a hundred years cha taps and calls while i take off my shoes upon the worn wooden steps of the temple and after a minute of waiting we hear a muffled step approaching and a hollow cuff behind the paper screens they slide open and an old white-robed priest appears and motions me with a low bow to enter he has a kindly face and his smile of welcome seems to me one of the most exquisite i have ever been greeted with then he cuffs again so badly that i think if i ever come here another time i shall ask for him in vain i go in feeling that soft spotless cushioned matting beneath my feet with which the floors of all japanese buildings are covered i pass the indispensable bell and lacquered reading desk and before me i see other screens only stretching from floor to ceiling the old man still coughing slides back one of these upon the right and waves me into the dimness of an inner sanctuary haunted by faint odours of incense a colossal bronze lamp with snarling gilded dragons coiled about its columnar stem is the first object i discern and in passing it my shoulder sets ringing a festoon of little bells suspended from the lotus-shaped summit of it then i reach the altar gropingly unable yet to distinguish forms clearly but the priest sliding back screen after screen pours in light upon the gilded brasses and the inscriptions and i look for the image of the deity or presiding spirit between the altar groups of convoluted candelabra and i see only a mirror 
a round pale disc of polished metal and my own face therein and behind this mockery of me a phantom of the far sea only a mirror symbolizing what illusion or that the universe exists for us solely as the reflection of our own souls or the old chinese teaching that we must seek the buddha only in our own hearts perhaps some day i shall be able to find out all these things as i sit on the temple steps putting on my shoes preparatory to going the kind old priest approaches me again and bowing presents a bowl i hastily drop some coins in it imagining it to be a buddhist alms bowl before discovering it to be full of hot water but the old man's beautiful courtesy saves me from feeling all the grossness of my mistake without a word and still preserving his kindly smile he takes the bowl away and returning presently with another bowl empty fills it with hot water from a little kettle and makes a sign for me to drink tea is most usually offered to visitors at temples but this little shrine is very very poor and i have a suspicion that the old priest suffers betimes for want of what no fellow-creature should be permitted to need as i descend the windy steps to the roadway i see him still looking after me and i hear once more his hollow cough then the mockery of the mirror recurs to me i am beginning to wonder whether i shall ever be able to discover that which i seek outside of myself that is outside of my own imagination section ten terra once more queries cha terra no it is getting late hotel cha but cha turning the corner of a narrow street on our homeward route halts the jinriksha before a shrine or a tiny temple scarcely larger than the smallest of japanese shops yet more of a surprise to me than any of the larger sacred edifices already visited for on either side of the entrance stand two monster figures nude blood-red demoniac fearfully muscled with feet like lions and hands brandishing gilded thunderbolts and eyes of delirious fury the guardians of holy things the Ni-O, or two kings note these Ni-O, however the first i saw in japan were very clumsy figures there are magnificent Ni-O to be seen in some of the great temple gateways in tokyo kyoto and elsewhere the grandest of all are those in the Ni-O mon or two kings gate of the huge todaiji temple at nara they are eight hundred years old it is impossible not to admire the conception of stormy dignity and hurricane force embodied in those colossal figures prayers are addressed to the Ni-O, especially by pilgrims most of their statues are disfigured by little pellets of white paper which people chew into a pulp and then spit at them there is a curious superstition that if the pellet sticks to the statue the prayer is heard if on the other hand it falls to the ground the prayer will not be answered End of note. and right between these crimson monsters a young girl stands looking at us her slight figure in robe of silver-gray and girdle of iris-violet 
relieved deliciously against the twilight darkness of the interior her face impassive and curiously delicate would charm wherever seen but here by strange contrast with the frightful grotesqueries on either side of her it produces an effect unimaginable then i find myself wondering whether my feeling of repulsion towards those twin monstrosities be altogether lust seeing that so charming a maiden deems them worthy of veneration and they even cease to seem ugly as i watch her standing there between them dainty and slender as some splendid moth and always naively gazing at the foreigner utterly unconscious that they might have seemed to him both unholy and uncomely what are they artistically they are buddhist transformations of brahma and of indra enveloped by the absorbing all-transforming magical atmosphere of buddhism indra can now wield his thunderbolts only in defence of the faith which has dethroned him he has become a keeper of the temple gates nay has even become a servant of bosats bodhisattvas for this is only a shrine of kwanon goddess of mercy not yet a buddha hotel cha hotel i cry out again for the way is long and the sun sinking sinking in the softest imaginable glow of topazine light i have not seen shaka so the japanese have transformed the name sakyamuni i have not looked upon the face of the buddha perhaps i may be able to find his image to-morrow somewhere in this wilderness of wooden streets or upon the summit of some yet unvisited hill the sun is gone the topaz light is gone and cha stops to light his lantern of paper and we hurry on again between two long lines of painted paper lanterns suspended before the shops so closely set so level those lines are that they seem two interminable strings of pearls of fire and suddenly a sound solemn profound mighty peals to my ears over the roofs of the town the voice of the tsurigane the great temple bell of nogiyama all too short the day seemed yet my eyes have been so long dazzled by the great white light and so confused by the sorcery of that interminable maze of mysterious signs which made each street vista seem a glimpse into some enormous grimoire that they are now weary even of the soft glowing of all these paper lanterns likewise covered with characters that look like texts from a book of magic and i feel at last the coming of that drowsiness which always follows enchantment section eleven amma kamishimo kohyakumon a woman's voice ringing through the night chanting in a tone of singular sweetness words of which each syllable comes through my open window like a wavelet of flute sound my japanese servant who speaks a little english has told me what they mean those words amma kamishimo kohyakumon and always between these long sweet calls i hear a plaintive whistle one long note first then two short ones in another key it is the whistle of the amma the poor blind woman who earns her living by shampooing the sick or the weary and whose whistle 
warns pedestrians and drivers of vehicles to take heed for her sake as she cannot see and she sings also that the weary and the sick may call her in ama kamishimo gohyakmon the saddest melody but the sweetest voice her cry signifies that for the sum of five hundred mon she will come and rub your weary body above and below and make the weariness or the pain go away five hundred mon are the equivalent of five sen japanese cents there are ten rin to a sen and ten mon to one rin the strange sweetness of the voice is haunting makes me even wish to have some pains that i might pay five hundred mon to have them driven away i lie down to sleep and i dream i see chinese texts multitudinous weird mysterious fleeing by me all in one direction ideographs white and dark upon signboards upon paper screens upon backs of sandaled men they seem to live these ideographs with conscious life they are moving their parts moving with a movement as of insects monstrously like phasmidae i am rolling always through low narrow luminous streets in a phantom jinrikisha whose wheels make no sound and always always i see the huge white mushroom-shaped hat of cha dancing up and down before me as he runs End of chapter 1 part 2